please stand with me as I read today's passage. We began last week Ephesians 5 on marriage, the leading passage, most important passage on marriage, probably in all the Bible, certainly in the New Testament. And we got the first paragraph last week, and we'll begin today. Uh, well, I'll begin reading at 22 and pick up the, the passage in 25 for, for, the, for the sermon. Okay, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. So the first paragraph that we looked at extensively last week, in a nutshell, wives submit to your husbands. And then in in our passage today, he pivots and addresses the husbands. But he does not give the converse that we would expect after this wives submit to your husbands. He doesn't turn to the husbands and say, husbands, make sure you're the head of your wives. He doesn't say, husbands, boss your wives. And he doesn't say, husbands, lead your wives. Rather, when he turns to the husbands, he says very emphatically, husbands, love your wives. And if I read the whole passage, you would see that three times in this one paragraph, he gives that same command, as if you, can't, you, you cannot miss this, husbands. Love her. Love her. Love her. That is the call above all calls when it comes to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Surprisingly, nowhere in the passage does he say to the wives to love your husbands, but of course, that's implicit In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus made it clear that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. So so the second command for every single one of us is to love the people around us, and if you're a wife and you've got a husband, then certainly at the top of that list, you ought to put your husband. So of course, you do. Also, the whole passage, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, begins with a command for all of us to love. 5, 1, and 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So all of us, husbands, wives, everybody, walk in love, love one another. Still, though, it is the husbands who have the special call and challenge from God that is not just implicit but explicit. Love her, love her, love her. Now, When you think about the two commands, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. Let's think about where those end up. Husbands love your wives. If a husband loves his wife well, then he will live for her, not himself. He will focus on her, not himself. 
He will serve her, sacrifice for her, and defer to her. And conversely, if a wife submits to her husband well, she will live for him, not herself. She will focus on him, not herself. She will serve him, sacrifice for him, and defer to him. And so there is this great mutuality where they both end up. Both the call to submit to a spouse and the call to love a spouse is a strong call to an other-centered servanthood, sacrificial, loving servanthood. And so they're going to end up in much the same place. They're not identical, but they will call us to the same sort of sacrificial and selfless love. One writer said of this dual perspective of the husband's the head of the wife and then this call to love the wife, he said, the husband is to be the head of the home. He is also to be the heart of the home. It is his headship which provides authority. It is his heart that provides affection. One without the other always leads to distortion. He is to be a leader. He is to be a lover. If the husband is a leader without being a lover, then he would be autocratic. If he is a lover without being a leader, he would be a sentimentalist. If he has leadership with love, no woman in her right mind resists placing herself willingly and submissively under a man who loves his Christ, loved the church. Now, there's high responsibilities, high callings for both spouses in any marriage. Wives submit, husbands love. But I would say, if anything, the call of husbands has a greater challenge and responsibility. We are to love as Christ loved the church. Now, just think about the culture that we swim in, the culture that we live in, where we, it's not un, unusual to hear someone right before who's married, right before a divorce, or maybe just after a divorce, to say something like this, well, I just don't love her anymore. Or maybe conversely, I just don't love him anymore. As if loving is a feeling that may come or go and you have nothing to do with it. But that's not what this passage says. It says, husbands, love her. The focus is not on marry the one that you're in love with, but love the one you're married to. If you're married to her, love her. Now, love is, includes both actions and feelings. But you cannot command somebody to have feelings. So, this is the action part of it. When God calls the husband to love his wife, he is calling the husband to sacrificial, specific, practical actions. At heart, love is, a, is not just a victim of the emotion. It is a, a decision of the will. It is about the actions. Feelings may come and go, but what a trite, nonsense statement to say, well, I just don't love her anymore so I can get a divorce. Tim Keller, pastor in New York, said, our culture glorifies romantic passion. So we say, if this was the person for me to marry, my feelings wouldn't be so up and down. And then he quotes C.S. Lewis in a classic passage where he says, people get from books the idea that if you have married the right person, you may expect to go on being in love forever. As a result, when they find they are not, they think this proves that they have made a mistake and are entitled to a change. Not realizing that when they have changed, the glamour will presently go out of the new love just as it went out of the old one. And those of you who have been part of what's been called serial monogamy 
one marriage after another. You know that's true. That emotional state of being in love, that doesn't last. This is what does last. The husband's resolute obedience to holy God to love her no matter what. Love her. How do we love her? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the great model for husbands is Christ loving the church. Now when the Bible says that Christ loves the church, that means us. We're the church. Christ doesn't love buildings and campuses. He loves the people. Really, how we should state this is Christ loved us. Christ loves me. It's the tender love of Christ. And the way Christ loves is the way I I am called to love. You know, when you look in the Gospels at the love of Christ, you just see some remarkable examples. One of my favorites comes in Luke 7. Here's the situation. Jesus and his disciples are approaching a town, a village called Nain, and they see a funeral procession heading out of the, the town, and as they get closer, they understand that a widow has just lost her only son. Now, she is a widow who has lost her husband, and now she just lost her only son. And you can imagine how brokenhearted she is. Jesus goes right up to the widow, and, and he's just oozing compassion. Luke's gospel says this, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And he goes up to the, the, to the dead young man and raises him from the dead. The heart of Jesus. And that is his heart for you. And that is his heart for me. And what God says to you, look at Jesus' heart for people. That is the way, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me pause on marriage and point out two things. Almost every time that the New Testament mentions the love of God, it will mention the cross in a very near context. This is an example. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us. In chapter, in, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, same thing. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. It doesn't always use that language, but it is surprising to me how frequently the New Testament will tie the love of God and immediately go to the cross. Immediately. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, incarnation and cross. Time after time. Friends, when it comes to loving, when it comes to marriage, then think the cross, the cross, the cross. Sacrifice. All about the other. No matter the cost. Love. Love. That's the call. Second thing I want to point out is the centrality of the church in the New Testament. We see time after time, Christ loves the church. And the New Testament mindset is not that we're a bunch of individuals. That is the American mindset. New Testament mindset, we're not a bunch of individuals. We are a community. We are a people. We are a church. We serve, love, worship together. We're called together. Christ loves the church. And if Christ loves the church then we must love the church too. All right, let's go back to marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The standard, it has been written, of a husband's love is the cross of Christ. 
Someone else had commented how many of us have realized that we are always to think of the married state in terms of the doctrine of the atonement. When you think about marriage, think cross, cross, cross. That is the standard, the high calling, the standard of love, the cross of Christ. That means that a husband should be willing to die for his wife, and, and any husband worth his salt would do that in a heartbeat. One of the heartwarming stories that came out of the tragedy of Las Vegas is that you heard about these stories about these husbands shielding wives or even shielding children that they didn't know. And that, that just, yes, that resonates. A few weeks ago, on two different occasions at Yosemite, the, the great mountain climbing rock there on Capitan, uh, huge chunks of rock uh, fell on two occasions. And on one of those occasions, there was a couple from England celebrating their first year anniversary who were climbing. And the rock fell. He dives on top of his wife. He is killed. She lives. And that sort of sacrifice, of course, just epitomizes love. And again, that is the sacrifice of God for you on the cross that we celebrate every Sunday morning with communion. And it is our calling. But church, something even harder than dying for your wife would be living for your wife in daily practical sacrifice. Now, that's the challenge for us men, isn't it? Those of us who are married. In daily, big ways and small ways, putting your wife first, living for her and not for self. That's the challenge because the great challenge of all marriage, the great challenge of all marriage is our extensive self-centeredness. And if we will face that, admit that, and ask God to rescue us, and Lord, help us to love the way Christ loved, other-centeredness, focus on other, and there is our life, and there is our freedom. Now, if we love our spouse the way God has called us to love, that's going to mean all kinds of specific things. And maybe what we should do in this coming week is simply ask the Lord, Lord, what does it mean for me what are you calling me as a husband to do when it comes to loving my wife better? Lord, what's the next step for me in loving my wife better? And wives, it's okay if you pray the same prayer. Or maybe if you're bold, ask your spouse, if I could do one thing to love you better, what would it be? You might be surprised at the answer. Love her. Love her. That means all kinds of things. It doesn't mean just the big and the bold things like dying for her and living for her. It means kindness in your voice. It means attentive listening so that you really want to understand her heart and not just, you know, put your time in there. It means that you open your heart to what's really going on inside, whether or not by personality you tend to be more private. Because no woman in marriage is going to feel loved if her husband doesn't consistently open his heart. That's what she's going to fall in love with. It means us giving our marriage priority, attention, and energy. And some of you have some demanding, challenging jobs, and so that's a little bit of a challenge to make sure that you save some of your best energy for your marriage. It means that we're going to love our spouse, not in the way that is natural and convenient for us to love, but in the way they need us to love them. Boy, how slow I was to learn that. 
Last week, as I gave a little summary about our marriage, I said that we've been happily married for 24 years, and we've been married for 37 years. And at year 13, we had a couple of breakthroughs. And uh, one of those uh, changes in our marriage, actually it, it began a little bit before that, was uh, in our early years of marriage, Gail kept telling me she just liked more affection, more tender physical affection, non-sexual affection. And, and I would say to her from time to time, Gail, you're just too needy. Every woman here, I know I just lost clout in your eyes that that, that is an unbelievably insensitive, unloving thing to say, but I did. I was a little slow learning. And then about 10 years in, we read this book about uh, a wife's greatest needs and a husband's greatest needs, and at the top of the list for most women, not every woman, but most women, was tender, physical, non-sexual affection of that sort. And so I realized it wasn't just Gail was needy, that I was had the, had the problem, and I began uh, trying to do better at that, and Gail would coach me at that, and it was a little awkward at first, but now I can barely keep my hands off of her, and I've learned it well. A second area of challenge for us, and this was really one of the key things, is that I was so focused on church and career in our early days and planning churches, several churches, that Gail consistently felt that the church was more important to me than she was. And I'd protest and, and say, oh, no, that's not true. Well, we hit a low point, a crisis point, 13 years into our marriage. And this was about the time we started Wood's Edge, by the way. And because of a confluence of things, it was a very, very difficult time for Gail. And when I realized that, I said to her, and I meant it, I said, Gail, if you need me to do something else besides pastor, I'm willing to. And I meant it. And she knew I did. And that's all she needed to hear, is that she was more important than my pastoring. And every woman needs to be a priority to her husband and needs to feel it and needs to know it. So let's love our wives the way they need to be loved. Now, I've got one more example of husbands loving their wives that I'm going to elaborate on because it is just so crucial. That is, part of a husband loving his wife is to be a great forgiver when he is hurt or he feels wronged in some way. Now, of course, this is reciprocal. The high call of forgiving your spouse, and it is absolutely crucial. Now, think about the, the, the example of Christ. And what is the example of Christ's love? It's the cross, which is all about forgiveness. And so, not surprisingly, that a husband's love for his wife is going to be all about forgiveness. That is just so crucial. It is one of the, the most important skills, maybe the most important skill of loving in marriage. Because if you don't forgive and anger builds up inside, if you store up grudges and resentments, or from time to time explode in anger, then your marriage will never be what you dream and long for it to be. It's just impossible because of the poison of anger. Now, God is so emphatic with us about anger. Even right before chapter 5 of Ephesians, He hits anger so hard. For example, the last two verses of Ephesians 4. Notice how emphatic God is. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It's like he could 
hardly emphasize it more. He thinks of every, every word for anger he can think of. Get, it, get rid of it. Put it away. All of it. And then, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then a little bit later, in the context of being filled with the Spirit, surrendered to God, filled with the Spirit, he talks about marriage. You cannot, husbands, we cannot love. We cannot love well. We cannot love like Christ loved unless we are great forgivers. Now, that may not be your personality. That may not be your background. That may be your style. Who cares? It is the command of Almighty God. And if we don't forgive, it is because we are refusing to obey God's charge to forgive. And every Sunday morning, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Lord, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Don't be surprised if one Sunday I just kind of pause right before we say that part and just say, okay, let's mean this one. Forgiveness is so vital to our spiritual health in every way and including every single marriage. And so, if you find yourself storing up resentments and keeping score and keeping a record of wrongs, if your spouse neglected you in the early part of your marriage or betrayed you in some way in the early part of your marriage and you still are hanging on to it, you are not only thumbing your nose at God who forgave you for a billion, billion dollars worth of sin, but you are sentencing yourself to a miserable life and a fragmented marriage. It's just so important. And so, let it go. Let it go. If you're carrying any anger this morning, maybe it's simmering downstairs. Maybe you're in denial about it. Maybe from time to time it explodes out in uh, a, a temper. Or maybe it's sullen and silent and simmering, and it is poisoning your very bloodstream. Part of loving, the most important part of loving, perhaps, is to be a great forgiver. Let me mention one specific example, and that is if you have sex before marriage, that can lead to some buried, suppressed anger that hurts the relationship. Let me explain that briefly. It's so common, even in the church, if a couple is sleeping together before the marriage, they both know down, down deep that's wrong, that this can bring into being an eternal being and is meant only for the security of a committed love relationship in marriage. They both know it. And so they get married, and the wife is probably or perhaps going to be angry and dominant. And the husband is perhaps going to be guilty and passive. And that marriage is hamstrung right from the start. If that is true of you, if that was true of you, and Satan has been using this as a tool against you to to rob you of the kind of marriage he wants to do this, this afternoon, get along with God and confess your sin and receive his grace. And then get with each other and confess that to each other and forgive one another and start afresh. And don't let Satan use this as a tool to ruin your marriage. And, by the way, if you've got kids dating or you know folks well dating, warn them about the dangers of premarital sex and do that by asking them regularly what kind of physical boundaries you have. 
What are your physical boundaries? And there should be some clear things that don't set them up to fail. Any kind of anger can ruin your marriage. Be great forgivers. So church, this emphatic passage, when it comes to marriage and the call for husbands, love her three times. Clearly, this matters to God. Clearly, it matters a great deal. Every husband will be held accountable before God for how we loved our wives. And I know that wives have an accountability before God for uh, how they love their husbands, but I think there's a special accountability for husbands when it comes to loving your spouse that God will take seriously. In the eyes of God, it is a tragedy when a woman is married and yet unloved. Just look at some of the Old Testament passages about that. Uh, a, a woman who was a little girl and so many little girls dream of being swept off their feet by a knight one day and loved devotedly the rest of their lives. And when she finally gets married and on the cusp of that dream, and then she finds out she is so unloved and lonely, that is a serious thing before God. Husbands, it must not be. It must not be. I call us as husbands to love our wives with all we've got. Make her feel like the most loved wife in the world. God has given you all that you need to love her well. Do battle with hell itself for the sake of your wife, your marriage, your family. Whatever else you do in your life, make sure that you love your wife as Christ loves the church. That will not happen unless it starts with God's love for you. Both husbands and wives, receive the overwhelming, unconditional, outrageous love of our God in heaven so that we've got the wellspring to love each other in marriage. Love, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. I close with one example of a husband loving his wife a week before his death. This was from the Civil War. A major in the Union Army by the name of Major Ballou, Sullivan Ballou. He writes to his wife before the second battle of Bull Run. Bull Run. It's a week before, and he'll, be, he'll die in that battle, and he realizes he could die. This is what he writes. Dear Sarah, the indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. And lest I should not be able to write you again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I am no more. I have no misgivings about the cause in which I'm engaged, and my courage does not halt or falter. I know how American civilization now leans on the triumph of the government and how great a debt we owe to those who went before us through the blood of the revolution. And I am willing, perfectly willing, to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain this government and to pay that debt. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It, bind, it seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence can break. The memory of all the blissful moments I have enjoyed with you come crowding over me, and I feel most deeply grateful to God and to you that I have enjoyed them for so long. And how hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years when, God willing, we might still have lived and loved together and seen our boys grown up to honorable manhood around us. If I do not return, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I loved you, nor that when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. And husbands, 
love your wife with this kind of a Christ-like love. Stand with me, please. Lord, help us because we need help. I need help. Lord, help us to receive your overwhelming love and forgiveness and let it spill out. Lord, where there needs to be forgiveness today, where there needs to be humility today, obedience to your word today, Lord, may it be, may it be. And Lord God, we are praying during this series that you would do supernatural work to strengthen and heal every marriage at Wood's Edge, whatever that involves. Lord, be with every single at Wood's Edge. May they never feel like they're incomplete or somehow second class or something. Lord, especially those who would love to be married, would you be with them? Lord, all of these things we call out to you in Christ's name. Amen.